All right. This is Darren. This is Jason. This is Darren Paltrowitz. Um, he's an entertainment, music, food and beverage journalist. And you actually met him at your PNC Homedale, New Jersey show. Um, and he asked you who your favorite lead singer Van Halen was. If that rings I remember. Up. I remember that that conversation yeah. very well. Um, so, Darren, you you can take it away. I'll let you know when you have about five minutes left. Jason, is your day going fine so far? Yeah, so far so good. I'm just hanging on the bus. We got a couple shows in uh, Orange Beach, Alabama tonight or uh, over the next weekend. So we're just kind of getting ready for that. And those shows are presented by Whiskey Moon Bourbon. Am I correct? Or I'm sorry, did I just say Whiskey Moon? I meant Wolf Moon Bourbon. Maybe maybe Whiskey Moon is our next uh, our next venture. We'll see. But yes, Wolf Moon. There you go. Wolf Moon is the presenter of the tour, and the tour is going great so far, I have to assume, based on the great show I saw in Jersey. Yeah, it's been great, man. I mean, we're, uh, I think we're four weeks in now, so our fourth weekend out, and, uh, you know, it's just fun. It's fun to be back on, on the road after a year and a half of sitting at home, kind of wondering when this time was going to come. It's uh, it's just nice to be back out there, be be playing shows again, see people out, having fun, having a good time. And um, it almost, almost feels like things are back to normal again, kind of. And fortunately, <laughs> Moon is on the menu at all these venues, which is a great thing. Now, speaking of this drink right here, what came first, the idea of you having a whiskey or the name Wolf Moon? Um, I think it was, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it was the idea. Um, you know, getting into, um, you know, the beverage part of things was something that I, I kind of always wanted to do. I just was kind of looking for the right thing. And um, we got presented the opportunity to do Wolf Moon. And, and at the time, I don't think we really knew what the name of it was. It was just sort of, we, you know, we were talking about this and, and uh, uh, BK and Tyler from FGO were, were already involved in the old camp family and and so it was kind of a spinoff of what they were doing and, and part of the old camp family. And, and so uh, my thing was I just wanted to do something that was a little bit more representative of me. And um, to me, that was more of a straight, you know, bourbon whiskey and uh, more so than a flavored thing or whatever. But so we, we kind of started the process of that and and, um, and just trying to really dial in like what, you know, what we wanted it to be. and. For me, I'm a guy that likes to drink it on the rocks. So I wanted something that was that was smooth that I didn't have to cut with something else, you know, just to get it down. Because a lot of whiskeys like that. I mean, there's there's some brands that have been around for a long time that I I have a hard time drinking. And there's some sure. of the more popular ones, you know. So I wanted it to be something that was easy to, to just drink on the rocks that, um, you know, and for me, that was important. So kind of doing some taste testing and really kind of dialing in what we wanted that to be. Uh, was, was really important to me. So it was something that I kind of got in on the ground floor of and, and started to help, you know, kind of let it take its shape as far as that went. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it just kind of went from there. And then I think, you know, between me, Tyler and BK, you know, and, and just kind of talking about everything, the name Wolf Moon kind of started circling around. And, and so we all kind of latched onto that. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. You are so good at what you do. You just answered about three of my questions, which were, did you have to go through endless taste testing? Uh, who else was involved? What kind of drink is it that you prefer to have Wolf Moon in and, and so forth? But uh, going back to one of the things I was going to ask, 
Was it the kind of thing where they said, hey, Jason, come down, try these. What do you like? You know, I think, no, not really. It was a thing of like, hey, we've got this 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 whiskey that's been, you know, aged for all these years. And, and so we have this this thing. We just don't really know what it is or what to call it or what, you know, what we want to do with it. And so um, for me, it was just kind of like, all right, well, well, send me some, send me some stuff to try, you know? And so there was a lot of different, uh, you know, there's different ways to kind of to mix it up and like make it taste a little, little stronger, a little lighter, a little whatever. And so uh, we kind of just started that process, you know? And, and so for me, it was coming in trying to take what, you know, what I felt like was already a, a good product and just sort of put my stamp on it and something that I, I felt like, you know, if I was going to send my friends or, or, I was going to send my friends a bottle or tell people to go buy a bottle, you know, it was something that I felt like, you know, was, was something that I was proud to have my name on. And so for me, I actually had my dad come over. Mm. And so I had all this, you know, all these tester bottles out. And so me and the old man got in there and started taste testing, you know, the, the initial, uh, what would become Wolf Moon. And uh, by the end of it, I'm like, man, I don't know. There are, I feel like now they're all pretty good. Our first run through, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. And now they all kind of taste pretty good. So we kind of narrowed it down to what we both thought was, uh, you know, the, the smoothest and the best. And, and so that's kind of what it became. What was the timeline on all this? For example, do you remember when that tasting with the old man was? I would say, let's see, what are we in 2021? I would say it was probably somewhere around, uh, 17 or 18 2017 or 18 somewhere in there so it's yeah it's been a it's been a little bit you know and it, it's a it's a long process of you know getting that and then mass producing that and then bottling it and then getting it out to people promoting yeah. it you know and, and we're still in the early stages of that you know it was just we were supposed to launch this on my tour last year and because of the pandemic we ended up canceling the tour and it really kind of set us behind a little bit on the initial launch of the product. So, you know, that was a, a situation where we kind of had to back up and reassess and, you know, so it's, it's been a, it's been a little bit of a process. And, and obviously when you're coming out with something like this, there's so you're competing with so many brands that are already out there. And a lot of them that have been around for what seemed like forever yeah, um, that are kind of just staples in, in Americana now, you know, and so you're trying to like compete with that and it, it just takes time. And so uh, for us, you know, we, we're kind of in it for the long haul to, to, to be on, on this ride and see what happens. Yeah. When it comes to celebrity owning, please don't mind me calling you a celebrity. I think when you sell a couple million records, you're, you're a celebrity. Even if you're a regular person that goes to the, the grocery store, celebrity adjacent right there. So a lot of people are skeptical of celebrity owned spirits. I personally am not. I think a lot of my favorites are celebrity owned. Now, in your case, was there ever any fear like, oh, let's not put my name on this because they're going to prejudge? Was that ever a fear? Um, not really. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to call it, you know, Jason Aldean's whiskey or anything like that. But, um, you know, I feel like a lot of times with celebrities, um, you know, a lot of times they get paid to put their name on something that they're really not that invested in. And it just, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes the product may suffer or or they may not even really care what's out there uh but you know like you said there are some really good ones too and i think yeah. it just i think it really boils down to you know how involved you get in in the process of everything i mean and um 
you know, for me, putting my name on something means a lot. You know, I, I don't, if you go back and look at things I've done over the years, I mean, you know, there's, there's really not much I've put my name on, if anything, that I can go back and go, man, I wish I hadn't done that, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I always try to make that stay true to my brand and, and, you know, what I've built for myself over the years. And so that's really important to me. And so, and this was no different. I mean, from, from the taste of, you know, of, of the whiskey to the bottle, to the logo, to everything. I mean, we were involved in all that stuff. And yeah, it's uh, you. So, yeah. And so, you know, for me, it was something that, you know, I, I feel like the product kind of stand, you know, it, it's going to speak for itself. And so, you know, it was never a concern for me about putting my name on it or being attached to it or anything like that. You know, if anything, it, it you know, would hopefully help to kind of get it off the ground and get it going and make people aware of it. When you're talking to musicians, the stock question that they get asked the first few years are, who are your influences? Now, in the case of the spirits industry, the last time I had the pleasure of speaking with you, I talked your ear off about Van Halen. Do you look at Sammy Hagar and go, wow, that is my spirit industry influence? You know, I think Sammy's done great. You know, I mean, I think he's done great with, with his his tequila and all the stuff he's done over the years. But, you know, you got to remember, too, he's that that stuff. Cabo Wabo has been out for a long time, you know, yeah. really. And, and uh, you know, it's it had to start somewhere. He had to build that brand and, and he's done a great job with it. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think right now, Conor McGregor with proper 12, I think he's he's killing it with that. Um, you know, so, I mean, you know, you look at what Clooney and guys like that did with uh, Cosmigos, yeah. you know, it, it, so, you know, those things have to start somewhere and it's all about how, you know, how, how involved I think you are in it and, and where you want to take it. And, and, uh, you know, you just kind of have to get in there and see, but I mean, you look and you see like some celebrities that do this, that are knowledgeable about it and, and have a vision to take it in a different place. You know, it's, it's, it, it can be done for sure. In the case of Hagar, when he first came out with the Cabo Wabo, there was the song called Mas Tequila, which totally worked in the brand. And then part of a stage show would be girls in bikinis coming out, serving him shots during the show. Is that part of the eventual plan for you that we see this is my next single and it's called Wolf Moon or no? Hey, man, I don't know. You know, I, one thing in this business, I've learned to never say never. So you never know. But um, I don't I don't think I'll have you know, girls in bikinis coming on stage, my wife would probably kill me, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, it's country music sings about whiskey a lot. So if there's any way I can kind of like manipulate it a little bit, throw in our Wolf Moon, you know, I'm going to do that for sure. Is there an accomplishment for Wolf Moon that you're proudest of so far? And that doesn't include me accidentally calling it Whiskey Moon at the beginning of this interview. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, th I think the biggest thing for me is that, you know, getting involved in this and and uh, really kind of learning as I was going about the, the spirits business and things like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact now that, you know, when I walk into a, a liquor store or a restaurant or something, I'm, I'm kind of looking to see if they have it. And anytime I see it somewhere, um, you know, it's really cool. It's like, man, this is um this is awesome because it's not just like in Nashville or just, you know, right around my home. It's like I've seen it out in different places and in restaurants. And, uh, you know, we have a restaurant in Nashville called the E3 that, you know, we serve there. And, and it's, you know, I'm kind of constantly asking 
bartenders like, hey, you know, what do people think about it? And, you know, so far the response from that's been great. And that's my thing. It's like, you know, I just want people to, if, if you're not a whiskey drinker, completely fine. But if you are, give it a try. And, and you know, hopefully it's something that, uh, you know, I just, I think you'll like it. You know what I mean? I, I think it's something if you try it, you like it. I think people get stuck on their brand and what they like to drink. And a lot of times uh, don't really like venturing out. You know, it's like, I drink this. This is all I drink all day, every day. And that's what I, that's what I want. And that's fine. Um, but I, I feel like this is something if, if we can ever get people to just venture out and try it a little bit, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll kind of reel them in. So that, that's what I, that's what I'm looking forward to and, and kind of what I see happening a little bit, which is cool. We have time for one to two more questions, Darren. Two more questions. The first question is, Jason, putting words in your mouth here, is it the kind of whiskey that you can have a little bit of before you go on stage and not totally lose your place? Oh, for sure. You know, um, you know, and and to be honest, man, I mean, when I'm backstage before a show, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that I have, you know, I have some stuff to do before the show, meet and greets and just some different things that I, I do for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours before the show. And then usually I have, maybe an hour and a half or two hours before our show starts. And so I get back there with my band and, and um, you know, we'll start playing some music and I'll have a couple drinks to, to get ready for the show, you know? And so that's, um, that's a, that's an every night thing for sure. But, you know, again, I think it's something that, you know, I always think stuff like that is, is great in moderation. And for me, like I can honestly say I've never been on stage in my life hammered by any means. Uh, I, I do good to remember my words when I'm sober. I can't do that. So uh, I definitely get back there, you know, with my band and, and just, uh, you know, kind of have a little drink and get ready for the show and kind of take the edge off. And, and it's uh, it's a nightly thing. Cool. And my last question here comes from me and a huge fan of yours named Sharon Porcello. Looking at your stage show, I see the pyro of Kiss, the three microphone setup that maybe Paul Stanley may have done on some KISS tours there. I hear some production influences from Mutt Lang. I see your pedal steel guitarist, Jay, wears an LA gun shirt from time to time. Was hair metal a big part of your musical DNA? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, that 80s rock scene for me, I mean, was, you know, I was, I was born in 77, man. So, you know, by the time the 80s came around, you know, all those, uh, 80s rock bands were a huge influence for me. It was, you know, for me, it was more, you know, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses. Uh, those bands were were iconic for us. Uh, you know, my lead guitar player, his his favorite band was Van Halen. Uh, the other one was, was Aerosmith. And so my bass player, he was the police. That was his band. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of mixture of that. And then obviously country music for me was a huge background my dad you know i grew up listening to stuff my dad had which was haggard and george jones and Waylon and alabama george Strait, and those guys and so that was also a huge part of it for me too so i would you know I, in, in our band i've always been the one that's like you know i want the music to sound rock and roll but i want the lyrics to be country and i'm kind of the one that's always sort of tied it all together between my rock band and and us playing country music. And so, but yeah, that, that eighties rock and uh, even stuff like Seeger and Mellencamp and things like that. I mean, that's, that's been a huge part of, of uh, you know, of our sound and, and influence and, and things like that over the years. Thank you so much for your time. Continued success is wished 
Looking forward to seeing you live at Jones Beach next year. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Good to see you again. Outrocast. So, Steve, how is your day going there? You're dialing in from Brooklyn? Yes, I'm in Dumbo. I have a little studio here uh, in Dumbo, Brooklyn, and it's good. It's hot here. It's hot, but it's good. It's hot in her. Uh, is Our World is 3D entirely mm -hmm. recorded there in the Brooklyn studio? No, it was done in Queens, a different studio, um, but using all my and our stuff, and uh, we did it ourselves, and I mixed the record also. It is the first full-length album from Hurricane Bells that is instrumental. Did you know outright, hey, this is a Hurricane Bells album and I want instrumental or evolution there? No, I, we, it was planned like that. Uh, and it is a bit of a reaction to my day job, which is um, doing music for TV commercials, essentially. Sometimes movies, but the, the money that gets me and my family food <laughs> is uh you know subaru ads and things like that so uh i remember talking to uh, colin and christian are the two other guys that i made the record with and yeah. talking, making instrumental music we had played a lot of shows together and i always felt like um i'm a bit of a control kind of guy if we got my, my other band long wave or hurricane bells initially was just me and i kind of needed it the way i wanted it to and with christian and colin they were so good that i, I realized i should let them let them do more of naturally things that they do. So we talked about doing some other music that we hadn't done before. And at one point I remember Colin, the drummer said, well, if we're gonna do an instrumental, should we think about it in terms of something that could be in a car commercial or something? And, you know, maybe to the detriment of the finances of the other members or my own, but uh, I said, you know, no, <laughs> no, we should just make it beautiful and uh, music that we would like to listen to. So. I may have sabotaged that in one direction, but on the other hand, I, I love to listen to it. I would not like to listen to it if it were uh, designed for that kind of purpose, I think. This next thing I'm curious about, it's intended to be a compliment. It, at first, it's going to sound a little backhanded. Uh -oh. and, <laughs> and then you're like, no, 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 it's a compliment. So I think that you have a uh, difficult situation when it comes to songwriting because not only does it have to be a good song that's catchy because people associate catchiness with your music but it also has to sound cool it has oh. that unique sounds you can't your history you can't just plug a guitar in and go ready you know there's pedals and there's oh. specifications and there's guitars and all that and this is an instrumental album so is it really really hard to have a good composition but then go but does it sound cool enough? Does this pass the muster? Well, first of all, I don't know that I, that I I'm hitting that mark every time. So that's very nice of you to, to say, <laughs> but uh, you know, the funny thing about the sounds and things is that if, if you get something that sounds kind of fun, that can write the song for you too. Right. So it's like you get a broken kind of speaker on a guitar amp and you play a couple chords and it's, whereas if you just play that on acoustic guitar it'd be a kind of boring sound so yeah i think they're not they're kind of interchangeable sometimes especially with something like an instrumental record i, I don't know what you would write i mean you could write themes on a piano maybe but you kind of have to write with the sounds you're going to be using anyway i think that was actually my next question i've heard of songwriters some of my favorite songwriters who always have a guitar on stage, but they write the songs on piano. Even if there's no piano in the song, is everything always written on a guitar? 
Uh, well, for me, the guitar is my best instrument. So um, don't laugh about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to laugh that, that the hired gun who real guitar players hire to play lead guitar is not a good guitarist. Yeah, <laughs> way to go on the modesty. Well, the, my best instrument is the guitar. So, yeah, usually it would be the guitar. But especially for, again, for like doing a TV commercial or something, a piano, uh, you don't you might, maybe you don't want a guitar. Guitar is just one sound you could use in, in the world or palette of sound that is available. So. But um, for me, usually it would be the guitar, unless unless uh, either A, it needs to be no guitar, and I would maybe start on the piano, or B, sometimes the guitar is too easy in a way. I've played it for so many years of my life that it might be more fun to like pull out a, a crazy toy or something. Like like this is like a hundred dollar drum machine, but you put this through a distortion pedal or something, and all of a sudden like you start hearing harmonics or things that are happening and you're like oh i kind of hear what key this is in and then you give the guitar maybe or something like and then before you know it you have a little song that's off of this little box yeah you know so um yeah usually be the guitar for me but sometimes i might consciously like avoid it just because i will get bored <laughs> you know? do you ever get directive when you're writing for commercial or those kinds of projects that go no guitars has oh, yeah. that happened well mostly i do get called for guitar stuff right because that is my main instrument or or by extension like banjo i'm looking at from my studio right now like banjos or acoustic guitars or um, ukuleles or you know so most of the time i get called for something like that but i do have a piano that's got a lot of character and sounds kind of old and I can't really get that sound using like a MIDI sample or something. So I've been called a couple times where people say, do you still have that? Uh, one guy calls it my three-legged piano. Uh, and they ask, they say, can you use that? On, we need, I think that would be a great sound for this, whatever. And usually it's like an old, you know, uh, like a uh, whatever, Daptones, R&B or soul or something kind of sound where it wouldn't sound right if it was like clean, pristine sounds. So yeah. Usually, uh, yeah, they'll, they, could, they could totally say that to me for, for work. No guitar. And that's totally legit. It's like, it's just as legit as saying we want guitar. Did you start out with piano lessons before you took up guitar? No, I wish I did. I'd be a lot better. <laughs> I'm horrible. You're one of the few people I've ever heard that with, that they weren't forced into piano lessons as a kid. Even if they took one or two and then quit, everyone I know who's a professional musician that I can think of started with a couple of piano lessons. Wow. Well, that's an interesting thing for you to say to me because I have two young sons and we have a little piano at home and that's a, a timely discussion happening right now. My, my younger son, we've talked about piano lessons for both the kids. Um, a friend of mine, I, I had, I was excited for him to do it. He was going to be the teacher. And then uh, now with shows happening again, he's, he's off to work. He's working, he's touring. Now. So that's a bummer. So my younger son said, Daddy, I want to play guitar. And I thought, <laughs> have you thought this through? <laughs> but but uh, yeah, we probably will end up getting piano lessons for the kids and maybe they're not going to like it. I, I don't really know. I wish someone had given me piano lessons. I did end up learning music theory and things with the guitar, but uh, wow, that's just, harder. I guess so. I don't know. I, I, I definitely was playing guitar pretty well. And my teacher told me, like, you got to learn these skills. And I went back a couple of weeks in a row where he kept telling me, you gotta learn this, you gotta learn this. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And finally he told me, 
I'm not going to be your teacher anymore. And I was like, whoa, because I really, really liked my teacher. And so he, that got me to learning. But yeah. And plus, uh, you know, power <laughs> instrumental music probably was huge at the time too. You needed to know how to shred to play that stuff. <laughs> well, 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 speaking of guitar instrumental music, Our World is 3D. The yeah. new album. It's a good ready. one. <laughs> from, from Hurricane Bells. Something I'm curious about is, People who read back to your story and trace it know that after Longwave broke up the first time, things were a little slow for you. And, you know, what's the next step? And out of nowhere, a Hurricane Bell song winds up in the, in a Twilight movie and then you're off to the races because, you know, work leads to more work and then you're fine. Something I'm curious about, curious about not that I can speak today, is are all the long way fans aware of hurricane bells are you finding all the time that people don't really know about the two no no not at all uh hurricane bells kind of disappeared because largely i don't know if the hurricane bells even had a myspace i don't even know but excuse me with you know uh at one point i got fed up with facebook and everything that's kind of what happened and we also started my wife and i had our first son and it was like you know i don't really want to deal with this anymore and what ended up happening, of course, was that you just get, it gets left behind. So part of the putting out these, you know, couple records here, and now there's a Hurricane Bell's Instagrams. It doesn't need to be a, a huge deal, but I just want to plant a flag and say this: this put it where someone can find it if they're interested, you know, because there is a little bit of history with Hurricane Bell's. Yeah. And it's been a very, for people following you, the individual Steve Schiltz, there's been a lot of music in the last year or so because there was this new album, there was an EP from Hurricane Bells that previously came out in Japan only, yeah. I believe. Yes. There was a long wave live album. I think there was another instrumental album with, with toy instruments or custom instruments. Oh yeah, that's not out yet. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. still in the works. Yeah, we yeah. saw you pop up on the Blue October album that came out within the last year or so. There might even be other stuff. Was it a prolific period for you or just a lot of backlog coincidentally coming out in the same time? Uh, kind of both. Some of the stuff was sitting around for a little while and it wasn't right. It needed to be tweaked or something. And then stuff like the Blue October was, that was brand new, but uh, I could do it from here. I didn't have to like this is my studio and I didn't have to go anywhere and I can part, you know, for my job, I send files and finish things all the time to people. So right. to, to do a, a record uh, collaboratively with somebody is actually kind of easy for me um, when the other person is also working and Justin and Eric at Blue October are, are very hard workers. So that's how they get that stuff done. It doesn't work if you're doing a lot of work and the other person on the other end isn't doing anything. That doesn't, that, that's, that's how it gets <laughs> but yeah with stuff like the long wave live i was able to go and meet with the guy who mixed that uh, even though the other long waves aren't in town um so yeah a lot of the stuff that we could do over the internet and we, we were able to do well that's out all that output that we just talked about is aside from your day job of writing stuff almost every day for different spots so do you not suffer from writer's block or are you just always able to find some form of music in you when you pick up an instrument uh the second one i guess i'm really lucky especially with the tv stuff i, I you have to there's no like uh the tv stuff is funny because so here in my in my studio there's just instruments everywhere here 
This is the one of the, it's one of the guitar racks. One of the guitar racks. Yeah, here's another <laughs> one of the guitar racks. So there's, a, there's a couple. Like here's a room with some amps in it. I don't know if you can see. Yeah. But, but so uh, a lot of times there's a synth little area over there, some a bunch of synths. A lot of times what I'll do uh, if I don't know what I'm going to start with or the initial thing is I, I will just literally look around the room and walk and think, you know, what might satisfy because with the ad stuff, I'll get a visual thing. And I, I've learned to try to be empathetic with that. <laughs>